Honey, don't take a shortcut. You always get us lost. What's on the other side? Leave before it gets dark. You've got to get across the river. Go! I'll distract them. I'm dreaming! I'm dreaming! Ah! Come on, wake up! The witch Baba controls you by stealing your name. If you completely forget it, you'll never find your way home. I want you to know my real name. It's Chihila. All right. You're the host, so lead us in. Oh, yeah, I have to do that. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Midweek Matinee, the podcast where we discuss movies at length, arguably too long. Uh, <laughs> this week, we are discussing the Studio Ghibli production, Spirited Away. I yeah. am... That's it. Close enough. Whatever. You're right. I should have got station <laughs> right, but I don't... Hey, buddy. I've heard of um, those ways I don't even know anymore. It's... We're watching Spirited Away. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. I am your host for the week, uh, Figs. With me is the man who likes bad video games, Blake Popes. Wow. I think you have that backwards. Uh, I'm sorry, Blake. Please just introduce yourself. This is the beginning <laughs> of a podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, hello, everybody. I'm Blake Popes, the man who loves phenomenal video games like Red Dead Redemption 2. Have some fucking decorum, Blake. Yeah, dude, what is wrong with you? I'm the host. Stop contradicting me. Anyway, we are also joined by Brett. Hello there. And the man with nicer intros than I'll ever have, Joshua Lago. Yeah, what's up? I'm really upset that I'm the only one you insulted. <laughs> well, Red Dead Redemption 2 is a terrible video game. Wow. And anyway, right. so what did everybody think of Spirited Away? Let's, uh, I should probably start with a human being. So how about Blake? What did you think of Spirited Away since you are the animated movie hater? All right. I don't hate animated movies. Wow. I just have this weird fucking brain that won't let me fully enjoy them i guess i hmm. like spirited away i don't not like it i um i feel bad doing this what well this isn't two weeks in a row we had one between but um between i don't know i don't have anything really bad to say about it and i liked it well <laughs> if i can if i can chime in just a hair there was actually a conversation that blake and i were having while he was watching it uh, and, and I told him it was a good conversation to have on the show because I think it will frame for future episodes people to understand more of the way that he views these things. And even if you disagree, which is just one of those things, you know, it, it's good to understand. So, Blake, I think it's worth you kind of describing to me what you said and trying to just put that out in words so that they kind of understand as well. Yeah. I don't know if I can exactly put it into words, and I was going to kind of just save it for like later on in the discussion, but um, I can go ahead and do it now. That's fine. Um, I have a weird like disconnect with animation to where like when it's weird and it doesn't make sense in the real world, I can't look past that, I guess, hmm. which is weird because I love horror movies and I can look past the crazy shit that I don't think is real also. Mm -hmm. and love those so i don't really understand it <laughs> which is why i'm having a hard time putting it into words but i don't know sure. just nothing animated has ever connected with me in that way since i was i guess a kid you know hmm. but again 
there, I don't hate animation. I don't. I'll watch it with my kids all the time, but I I would never personally like sit down and be like, I'm gonna watch this animated movie or whatever uh, animated movie or whatever. Uh, I totally get it. You hate cartoons and you hate joy. Uh, I do. Josh, I hate all of it. How- well, <laughs> hold on. Before we move too much away from that, I do find it really interesting that. I know there's a number of movies that have such outlandish things happening in them that are live action and do so through just practical effects or sometimes poor CGI. And I find it super interesting that Blake has almost no issues with that. (laughs) But when it comes to changing the medium into something that should allow you to more reasonably get past your suspension of disbelief mm-hmm. he right. doubles down and goes yeah. fuck that that no. couldn't happen this is stupid robert Pattinson i absolutely fucks agree with you <laughs> movie of the year no like i absolutely agree with brett like it makes no sense it's just the way my brain works i don't know nightmare on elm street yeah. i am totally fucking cool with people getting sucked into beds and disappearing <laughs> while they're dreaming it makes no sense and i'm fucking cool with it i love it I don't know. Yeah, I, so don't I, I thought that was an interesting nugget to put out there for Blake because hmm. it's fine. We can't do anything to really change it. All we might be able to do is as we subject him to more animated movies uh, throughout the run of this show, hmm. we might soften him a little bit on it at least. Hmm. Yeah, and I, I hope so too because like I said, I don't have anything against animation. It's just something that I don't connect with. <laughs> yeah, Josh, so what did, you, what did you think about Spirited Away? I noticed on Letterboxd that you seemed to really enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm a fan of Miyazaki's work. I regret mm-hmm. that I've seen so few of his movies. Um, but I mean, like, animation was a big part of my upbringing, like a lot of like the Disney classics and the Pixar stuff. And uh, there's a similar feeling of, like, there's a little bit of whimsy, but there's also, like, seriousness. There's room for somber moments. There's a, there's a really cool spectrum of emotional subjects, even in a movie like this mm-hmm. where the main character is a child. And I think that's really cool to explore, not just from the adult perspective, but like, you know, children have a really interesting, I think, perspective on what is and isn't real because they're not as like invested in like the brass tacks of like, you know, adult day to day. So I think that's always a fun mm-hmm. perspective to like visit. And that's, that's the thing I really like about this movie. Even, even though it goes into like some weird fucking territory of like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> um, and admittedly, that's a thing that, uh, that's the only thing that for me personally works against me being like fully like in love with this movie is just like, I respect what it's doing, but there are moments where I'm kind of like, I'm not totally sure what this accomplishes other than it being a cool visual sequence. But I, I assume there's also a lot of, uh, cultural callbacks that I'm just not privy to uh, since a lot of this seems rooted in kind of elements of like Japanese folklore and understanding of spirits so uh, for me being a total lay person who just enjoys animation and likes Miyazaki stuff I'm always happy Mm -hmm. to watch Spirited Away I finished the thought on my end and I know it got recorded so if you want that can just be the end of what I say and then we can just move on to Brett's thoughts I don't know when to Brett I just don't know how you... Okay. Just say, yeah, dude, I agree. Brett, what do you think? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, sure. 100%. Anyway, Brett, how do you feel about Spirited Away? 
<laughs> well, uh, I actually there's something that Josh <laughs> mentioned that I found really interesting about this movie uh, is that of course it is through the eyes as often actually animated movies do find themselves to be uh, viewing things through the eyes of someone who's younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that that may at least have some effect on Blake's ability to connect with it. Maybe it feels like because you're supposed to be viewing things through the eyes of a child that it's different because of that. I'm not sure, uh, but. What's more interesting about about that is I actually have a tie-in story that happened while I was trying to watch the movie. But before I say that, it's interesting that we're watching a movie that takes place through the perspective of a child that was written by a fully grown, much older than us adult. Mm. <laughs> uh, so what I think is kind of fun about that is I'm sure as somebody who's writing and directing this, it's got to be fun to mentally put yourself in the situation. You'd be like, well, if I were a child and from all the things that I know about my experiences with children and being a child, how would I view this situation? And like putting yourself behind that lens is really interesting. It doesn't, it's probably not 100% accurate, but at least this movie, I do think taps into a lot of stuff Yeah. Uh, because one of the things I found is that my daughter loves animated movies. She watches them all the time. Uh, and despite many animated movies having moments of sadness, uh, they tend not to hit her in any kind of real way. You know, one of the prime examples is she loves Frozen. Mm-hmm. But when Frozen comes in and the girls are sad because they find out that their parents have died, has no effect on her. Hmm. Even Spoiler though the movie alert. portrays it relatively okay. It's the very beginning of the movie. I'm pretty sure I could spoil <laughs> that. <laughs> but um, it's as interesting as it is that movie talks about it, it's like it doesn't it's it, it talks about it and it's known definitely for an adult. And I think my daughter is even aware of the fact that the parents are gone, but the way that they choose to tap into it doesn't hit nearly as hard as this movie does. So of course with this being an animated movie, my wife was like, Well, how about we all just watch it together and have a movie night? So I thought, yeah, that's great. You know, we're we're quarantining. Might as well have a little bit of fun and get together and cook some popcorn and whatnot. Once it got to the point of where she breaks down crying because she gets told that she shouldn't trust anything that Haku says, uh, and she breaks down crying over after everything else that's happened. My daughter became unconsolable, just broke out crying. Hmm. And I had to stop the movie and talk to her. And the movie was already, I could tell it was making her uncomfortable, <laughs> not even just because of the weirdness of the movie, hmm. but it's like everything to do with the parents and the reason i know that that struck home more is once the movie was done uh my wife took her and i finished watching the movie on my own and they went and watched frozen but once they were done and my daughter got put in bed in time for bed she immediately started freaking out and crying and said daddy i thought of something scary can you come here Hmm. and when i walked in the room the first thing out of her mouth is i had a dream that i was with mommy and i lost her and I couldn't find her. Oh, wow. Mm. And I was like, wow, this movie just really struck a chord with my child. Uh, mm. So, yeah, that, that kind of ties into what Josh was saying of kids view the world so much differently. And this movie clearly does a good job of tapping into the way a child would be perceiving the situation and dealing with it enough that it could tap into my not even quite five-year-old daughter mm. and leave a lasting impression on her. So... Uh, but yeah, I did enjoy the movie. I thought it was really good. Uh, one of the things that Josh said is like it's a story. It's a it's a world that's full of whimsy. Yeah, and I love that. And one of the things I really like about the movie is that that everything about the whimsy and the whimsical nature feels genuine yeah. and true to the world in which the movie exists in. Right. Mm. 
And sometimes I feel like animated movies or even movies that are trying to pull off an aspect of whimsy don't always quite hit the chord. Uh, and I feel like this movie is a good example of doing it just almost perfectly. And I think this movie is a really great example. One of the things I mentioned in the Mary Poppins episode is I really feel like that movie would have done better as a fully animated title. Mm. And watching this makes me believe that even more. I just, I, I really think that movie would have been more, it would have been for the betterment of the movie as an individual piece. Though, right. of course, it being live action with the mixture of animation and everything made the movie more memorable and stick out from an awards perspective and a technological mm -hmm. presence. But this movie does a great job of striking into a lot of that. So <laughs> great movie. I, I really enjoyed it. Good. Well, I, I'm sorry that the movie traumatized your daughter. <laughs> well, I do want to um, comment on that real quick, if you don't mind, Chris. No, yeah. go for it, man. Um, I think that one of the biggest fears that, you know, especially younger kids have is like being lost without their parents because i know especially my middle child like when we're in the store and if we turn the corner and he's like right behind us he'll start to freak out a little bit and he's five so he's you know right around her age i think you said she's almost five to ten too like my daughter you know she doesn't freak out when we turn the corner but you know my younger kids do to an extent but i just think that's one of the biggest fears that they have because they don't have other fears that we have you know they don't really know mm. like what drowning is or burning alive and a house fire you know like a people breaking in your house or whatever it may be you know they don't have those quite those fears when they're that young so right yeah it's more of like i notice in children and that's what's really i think also taps into this movie uh it's it's one of the big themes i think about this movie is um trying to conquer a fear of the unknown which is kind of what this movie is you know from the moment that they go into the tunnel and she's like i really don't want to go in the tunnel but she doesn't want to be without her parents so she only goes because her parents are going to go without her um which parenting of the year awards <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> two movies in very close succession of people just taking very terrible care of their children <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i mean three uh, technically that's, yeah it's true <laughs> the, the catalyst though of course is of her going in there is all that going on um and then from there it's like the entire time she's going she's clinging to her mother she's un she's unsure of everything she's scared of everything she's kind of slowing them down and they're almost kind of viewing it as like not a nuisance but like it's oh come on honey come on come on you're slowing us down uh and then of course she gets completely separated from them and then the movie becomes about her handling just a massive swath of unknown mystery to her and things that she doesn't understand mm -hmm. and i think that that's what kids have really bad i noticed my daughter it's just when she doesn't know enough about something if she knows just enough to know that it exists but not enough to to know what would really happen in the situation that's really terrifying to her it's like you know the fear of bugs i think for people is just one of those real big things it's like well i see the bug but i don't really know what the bug is and you know i can try to explain to her all day long that a fly can't hurt her and she's so much bigger than a fly but it doesn't matter at the end of the day it's still what is this thing what is it doing in my area i'm not comfortable with it i don't know enough about it so mm -hmm. definitely definitely i think the one honestly kind of interesting thing now that we're talking about you know losing the parents is i think in a lot of movies especially western movies we would see this trope reversed where the kids would go off and disappear and mm. the parent, one of the parents would be the one hold, holding back, searching for their kid. And it would be, you know, rated PG-13. It would be an Ethan Hawke movie. Um, <laughs> but you, you know what I'm trying to say, right? It, and I think that's what the one real interesting thing is in a lot of these movies, we get the story of the child being irresponsible and disappearing. And in this movie, 
it's about the parents being irresponsible and not disappearing in the same way as a child being you know taken or whatever but mm-hmm. you know yeah. with the the gl- the gluttony thing i thought that was really interesting the way they just flipping those those two uh tropes there yeah for sure yeah i mean i think kind of tying into a little bit of what brett was saying about like the you know the perspective of the child and all that I I always think it's really interesting the way this conveys something I feel like a lot of kids feel uh, of like being kind of ignored or like just underestimated or just viewed as like an accessory to the situation that they're in when on a, like uh, often kids can have really interesting and unique insights on things that are going on around them but are sort of uh, you know sometimes that's overlooked and I think that's a really cool thing that this movie acknowledges like you know sometimes kids are a lot more perceptive than they're given credit for right Mm -hmm. that definitely ties into something i was going to bring up later but just to go with your point and kind of mention it i think Mm -hmm. the really interesting thing about this part is where um shihiro or sen however we want to you know refer to her is really the only pure character throughout the entire movie and Mm -hmm. nothing bad actually happens to her it happens to the people around her who care about her because she intuits the right answer you know, mm. she intuits, hey, we shouldn't be going into this tunnel. We shouldn't eat this food. You know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then when she gets into the spirit world, it's just, it's her positivity that kind of turns everyone around to her. Yeah. You know, where she's I mean, the reason. What happened? I, I was just going to say, major credit to her, by the way, for keeping it together as well as she does for all of the absolutely insane shit that's happening out of nowhere, Mm -hmm. unexplained. And everyone is like impatient with her for not being with the program already. So, I mean that she keeps it together as long as she does is like, that was always the thing that I thought, like if I was in her situation, I'd be freaking out like way sooner. But she really just rolls with the punches. Yeah. Yeah. Well, almost everyone in that world is like scary as fuck looking too. Like if you think about it in the perspective of like, yeah, the art style's cute and they all look cool and neat, but if you were there and it looked like real, mm-hmm. that'd be fucking right. terrifying. Like, fucking yeah, heads the- bouncing around and talking. And <laughs> <laughs> I really like those yeah. heads. Um, yeah, I had yeah. that same thought the second that she meets uh, Kamaji. Uh, he's the, the six-man boiler room guy, the six-man mm-hmm. boiler room guy. I was like, yeah. absolutely fucking not. <laughs> I would have left immediately. Yeah. Dude, I will as soon say, as though, I saw that, I was like, this looks like the weirdest version of like a fan art, like spider-eyes, <laughs> Dr. Eggman Robotnik. Yeah. <laughs> it does look like Which, a- What the hell's up with that trope? Bald man wearing glasses that are super round and hide your eyes completely in a ridiculous mustache. What is that? It's like what, a, what's uh, that? Is that a thing in Japan? <laughs> He's like a Sonic boss if Sonic was in the Bloodborne universe. <laughs> I think I just found a crossover that needs to happen. <laughs> I will say that scene in the like the I guess it was the boiler room, the coal room yeah. or whatever. I I love that whole scene in that room. Yeah. Everything the, uh, in there was real cool. Yeah, I really like the, the, the dust creatures, bunnies. The coal creatures. Yeah, the dust bunnies. I guess this, they're called the Susu Watari. I didn't I didn't know that throughout the movie, but or they're the they're soot. They're pieces yeah, of soot that have been animated. Yeah. Soot sprites. Yeah. What's um it? so I guess we just move on to the movie and you know, it starts not that we're not talking about the movie, but like actually you know what I'm trying to say. Shut the fuck up. Um <laughs> But <laughs> nobody said anything. <laughs> I, heard, I heard someone laugh with their nose and it threw me off for a second. Uh, um, 
No, but they... So the movie starts off with them going and getting into the tunnel, and I think what, where I want to stop and talk about is where the parents start eating and she disappears, because I really like that whole scene. Yeah. And we kind of get to where her parents have been turned into to pigs. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, let's say, Brett, how did you take that scene? What did you think about that? Well... It's, of course, relevant to this scene. Yeah. But I also think it's relevant to the rest of the movie. Uh, The movie looks a lot at greed and the downside of what greed can really cause. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what I love about that, and you already mentioned it, is that Chihiro or Sin, whatever you want to call her, Mm -hmm. um, she is the one person who, throughout all the things that typically as adults we would view and lust over to some degree, like gold, like you know food mm-hmm. uh, and shout out to the food by the way oh because God. animated movies do a fantastic yeah. job of making food look di- like some of them don't but some of the key ones it's like you see the food and you're like damn like that's not even real food but i kind of <laughs> want to eat it yeah i will when say I though that- i don't care oh sorry no go ahead chris no go you're good you're good Continue. i was just saying i don't care how good that food looked there's no way in hell i would walk into an abandoned amusement park and just start eating <laughs> the food on the counter absolutely <laughs> Like, yeah, <laughs> this whole movie was done right there. <laughs> like, I'm never doing that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but one of the things I, I liked about that is every bit of that is this movie being like, okay, you're going to see greed, the start of it, what kind mm-hmm. of goes in. And of course, gluttony is just a, a, a different form of greed, realistically. Right. Um, Food greed. And when you're going through and dealing with that, it's, I, I love, I, I really actually love that they chose to take the, you know, you're eating like a pig and, and really turn that on its head and be like, hey, we're going to really physically turn you into a, he- yep. a pig. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that became a very big story point. I just, I thought that was really fun. Uh, and I, in a very weird way, of course, it's an thing to see happen but i love the scene of her specifically running back and seeing her parents and just kind of much to josh's point how well she genuinely holds everything together considering what's going on it's like she runs back and sees these monstrous half pig half human looking things (laughs) getting smacked by a spirit with a stick (laughs) and she's just like of course she's terrified but it's like she doesn't just drop everything and keep herself from being able to do everything it's still like i've got to go i've got to figure out the best thing i can do right now and then immediately once she's safe it's like how do i get my parents and how do i get out of here and i i I like that i mean really i think the way that the movie chooses to go into it is really fun Mm -hmm. um but one thing i don't want to completely skip by is the very beginning of the movie uh before all this happens And that is that when they're in the vehicle, she's looking at her little farewell card that she has and talking about the bouquet of flowers that she got mm-hmm. and how it's only for her moving away. Uh, I like that the one of the very first real pieces of dialogue, and she says, oh, it's fun to move to a new place. It's an adventure. And the it's not really irony. It's like it's on purpose that as, as right. what happens in here is it's almost like the movie's a tie back into uh, – it's almost like a metaphor for her coming to terms with a new area and learning how to cope with it and become to a point where she can technically overcome her new surroundings in a very, very weird way. But mm-hmm. I love that that line was said, and then the rest of the movie follows the way it does because it's really it's an adventure in the most twisted sort of way. Yeah. But in a way, it's going to prepare her for the climax of the movie of going back in and, and being in a new area and a new school with new friends. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that was the interesting thing the movie was doing it is it was just trying to tell different lessons throughout the entire thing. Like almost every scene has a small lesson in it. 
And I think that's actually really interesting. You know, the scene with the river monster teaches you to respect people despite their appearances, you know? Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up, though, because I'm sure someone else is probably going to bring it up. But I like how the adults in that situation, all all the people around in the bathhouse, were only doing it because of the monetary benefit involved. Mm -hmm. involved. Mm -hmm. And her entire thing was the, the innocence of a child. It's like... Well, of course, she's being told to do this, but once she finds out that there's something stuck and trying to pull it out, none of it's about the money for her. Whereas you can see uh, Yubaba is like, ah, I'm starting to understand what this is. Mm-hmm. This can be very good for us monetarily. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, Josh, what did you think of the beginning of the movie? Do you have yeah. any points on that? I, I, I mean, as, as Brett was saying all that, it kind of occurred to me how similar to Alice in Wonderland this whole movie is. Oh, um, it's like mm. Japanese Alice in Wonderland for sure. And, and I, I mean that in like a good way. I think this honestly does a lot of things better than Alice in Wonderland as far as getting us to care about the main character and it not just being, here's an avatar for weird shit to happen around. Um, <laughs> but I think her her sense of agency through all of this, her unique way of handling all of these situations through just being really consistent with her character of like just her, her curiosity, her open-mindedness, her... You know, seeing the best in everyone around her, I, I think, is really cool and refreshing to, you know, j- just have like a, a wholesome sort of not cynical exploration of, you know, kind of dark themes. Um, yeah. But yeah, so so the whole opening sequence, I, I think, does a fantastic job of, you know, being the, the front bookend of the whole, you know, we're about mm. to experience a lot of change. And, you know, change is always hard, especially for, I mean... I, I don't know what y- your uh, collective experiences have been with uh, moving as a child, but I mean, it's definitely, uh, you know, it's a big thing. Like change of setting, not, you know, having other family members or friends, a new school, all of that. I mean, it's like, you know, before you have like a job and a career and a sense of like the trajectory that you're on, it feels like your entire life is just suddenly uprooted and forever different when you move somewhere that's like far away from your home. So I think that's right. always a really interesting uh you know, thing to explore from the perspective of a kid because it's just such a, like, everything changes when you move. Right, it's Mm. such a gigantic thing. Um, So, Blake, I'm actually really interested in hearing your thoughts on this because, to me, the the scene in the amusement park after the parents start eating and she runs away kind of seemed to me like it would appeal to you the most because that kind of felt like the most almost horror movie type thing in this movie. So I'm kind of curious to see what you thought about that that whole part. You're talking about the scene where they're going across the bridge and she can't breathe and stuff? Or she's no, not supposed to about, breathe? I was talking about with uh, in, in the amusement park with the parents uh, and the, after they're eating and she kind of runs away and all the spirits start coming out, the lights start going on. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I I like the whole beginning. Like like I said, I mean, I like the whole movie, but I don't know, nothing really stuck out to me, mm-hmm. I guess, besides... The couple things that I didn't really understand of like why the dad was driving normal until he got on a windy like brick path and then he started <laughs> to go like 80 miles an hour. Because <laughs> he had four by four. Like, <laughs> they answer that question in the movie. I mean, I guess. I maybe the Audi, which I was surprised that was an Audi, by the way. Like, I was yeah. like, why are they actually animating an Audi over here? But maybe yeah, the Audi was that. actually a DeLorean in disguise, and he was trying to get to 88 <laughs> miles per hour. You know, there was probably a goal there. 
For sure, for sure. Okay, so I mean, I I guess the next thing kind of goes into exactly what you were talking about with the bridge. That's sh- her parents go and become pigs. She meets Haku, and then there is that scene on the bridge. So, did you have something to say about that? Because that's that was definitely I really liked that scene. I thought it was very tense, very well done. Uh, yeah. I mean, I I really liked that scene too. I thought it was interesting how, um, especially towards the end when she finally did like kind of gasp and breathe and then they realized it was a human and she was like, I'm sorry. And he was like really understanding, you know, trying to, you know, the whole time he was basically trying to keep her calm, like first and foremost, I guess. So, I mean, I, yeah, I really enjoyed that scene. Yeah. I mean, uh, this movie definitely does a lot of really cool stuff with that initial, her having to conceal who she really is. And I mean going into it for the first time it's so you never know how everyone else is going to react and i think that's a strength of this movie setting up that sort of you know vulnerable child in this really uncertain situation of being basically in the spirit world which is like a it's kind of like a nightmare scenario so i think it's really cool that they play on the fear of the unknown and everyone ends up for the most part being pretty nice like a lot of people are kind of self-absorbed and all that but like you know uh, for as many creatures and beings look like they'd be out to just fucking eat her, uh, it, it I think is a really cool thing that obviously fits the theme of the movie. That it's just like, you know, hey, like a lot of these creepy as fuck looking dudes are actually pretty nice if you get to know them. So. Right. It was almost like that little like a hey, don't judge a book by its cover thing, and I think that's interesting that she never does. It never seems like she's truly scared of anyone that she's around in the spirit world you know she always seems kind of like at most unsettled but i never got the sense of like oh no there's a big scary monster it just kind of seemed like i don't know almost like if you saw someone you weren't attracted to i guess is the best way i can think to say it (laughs) where like you see them and they look different i guess that is a really bad analogy it's not working the way i want it to but you know what i'm trying to say where like you see someone who looks different you don't necessarily think any different of them you know where you just treat them as a regular human being sure i mean i think that's the thing that we especially see with like kamaji and yubaba where they have such extreme visual appearances like Kamaji being this like weird spider person mm-hmm. and his his limbs stretch out and you know he's got a weird just you know the Dr. Robotnik looking head and all that shit like he's a weird looking dude and it's really it's cool that despite him starting off being kind of like gruff and like oh whatever get out of here like I don't you know I got all the help I need like who cares mm-hmm. um, and then he ends up being really sweet like you know once she kind of breaks past that initial kind of exterior yeah he's Um, he's really like her father figure throughout this the entire thing her and lynn it's almost like she got replacement parents i guess lynn kind of is more of a sister in my opinion but yeah i don't think because one of the things about lynn is she's still she's still so privy to all the same like she's just as fallible as everyone else Mm -hmm. in terms of her downsides Mm -hmm. i think it works much more as like a sibling that you can see do things and learn a lesson from and be like maybe it's good that I don't do that. Like, you know, yeah. uh, not listening mm-hmm. because of the fact that you think gold is more important than the moment that you're trying to have with me at this particular time. Right. And I guess the one thing I would ask now that we're on the topic of Lynn, did anyone know, is she a human or a monster? Because I got it's, the impression that she was a monster, but then she looks like a human. <laughs> so to kind of answer that, 
I think what goes on in there, uh, by the end of the movie, we learn that Haku was a river spirit, but he right. looks like a human for all intents and purposes. So one of the big things to me, I, I, I think that even the people who had a more um, human-like appearance realistically were just that way to give the cast a little bit more of a variety uh, mm-hmm. and not have to lean so hard on having different monster designs, you know? Yeah, for sure. I just, yeah. I don't know. I wish it was more clear about that. And I guess... Well, and one of the things, too, sorry to interrupt, is I think that the some of the choices... Do you notice that most of the primary characters have a human-like, a humanoid-like yeah. aspect? Even, even Komaji being spider-like, he still looks rather mm-hmm. humanoid he's not right. like a frog he's not anything like that and he doesn't look mm-hmm. like the kind of uh, shapeless uh spirits so i think that part of that was done to give people uh a face and a look that they're more familiar with for the characters that were going to have a little bit more of a part to play uh to kind of let you i don't know if i'd say it, it's to kind of make it sit with you better like, yeah you know, there's less of a disconnect because you see a human-like face yeah, I don't know. I guess that might be my only problem with the movie is that it kind of just felt like G-rated Midsommar, <laughs> where <laughs> <laughs> I haven't you know, watched Midsommar, but that's interesting. <laughs> All these people are kind of it's it seems like a congregation of people, and then you get these random like different looking things. It's almost what I would imagine walking into Gringotts would be like if Harry Potter was real, where like everyone is is, is a goblin who works there and that's kind of the same way this movie was where like there were a couple humanoid people uh lynn and you know zaniba yubaba uh, haku <laughs> kamaji all the surrounding people were like just humanoid enough to give them some kind of emotion but also not humanoid which i think was kind of weird i almost wish they went one way mm-hmm. or another well what like, is there a character that you can specify that you kind of got that out of i'm just thinking of like I guess like the, the like the guy who was working the uh, where she when she was trying to get the laundry tokens like that guy was mm. humanoid but not a human you know what I mean okay yeah I, I kind of get it I, I guess they would give people a little bit more of a anthropomorphized aspect whenever it was going to be uh, a direct interaction that way that you could kind of at least again set a little bit less of a disconnect because you know there's plenty of people that you see that never actually talk outside of like the like right. the hallway scene where everybody's trying to get money from uh, no face mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but aside from that you know most of the people that you're seeing they don't really look like they would talk like if, if they don't talk they look see, they seemingly have a slightly different design like they're a little bit more humanoid and anthropomorphized when there's going to be a, an actual line of dialogue from them no and again i don't, I, mm. I don't I, know I, if that was for no. to, for a disconnect purpose or, or what you know I mean, or maybe it's that animating mouth movements just helps uh when you do something that's a little bit more humanoid like yeah i guess yeah. i don't know it just seemed to me like they leaned on making a lot of stuff look more human while also having a lot of everything else you know it's not like it was just people i thought looked humanoid but i don't know i kind of just wish they'd gone in a different direction like if you were going to make them humanoid almost do something like orcs you know just mm. just mm. to kind of give me where they're naturally humanoid but right. they still look clearly different yeah because there were a lot of scenes like like that scene where Lin and um, Lin and Sen are sitting in the the balcony just eating, 
This is after she cleans mm-hmm. off the smelly customer. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, that scene, it doesn't feel like you're in this crazy spirit world. You almost feel like it's two sisters on a beach, which okay. could be the point. But it kind of yeah. takes you away, takes me away from like, this is a girl out of time. Or not out of time, but out of her space. Because if, if Lynn, mm-hmm. even if Lynn looks the exact same, but she's purple, you know, it sells me on that a little bit more than it did. I could see that. I think going back to what you kind of just said, even is that, you know, that was probably some of the goal. I think a lot of the moments like that, because there are a few of those, I do think it's to kind of act as not only within the story and for uh, mm. Chihiro herself, Chihiro, uh, but also or Sin, whatever. But uh, I think it's to kind of give her a break of, of all the stuff going on and all the oh, yeah. unfamiliarity. Is like she's having a moment where mm-hmm. it's just her, and I think it's also meant to give the viewer a break. It's like, hey, you know, this is like a this is it's not a lull so much as it's a purposeful. Mm-hmm. Uh, pull back from the craziness so that it creates kind of a rhythm within the movie and yeah. kind of you know you're not getting one uh, any of one thing too long but you to me it never felt like it was disconnecting me from the world but there was a lot no. of other stuff going on either so but I, I could see the argument that it could disconnect it's, you it's very much a nitpick it's just to me it just seems like they could have done that little bit more to make her feel out of space um mm. So, Josh, what did you think about our conversation? You didn't really get to cut in, but I could definitely hear you kind of be like, uh, 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 uh. so I figure I'll give you a little bit of a... Uh, that, that's fine. I was actually just trying not to puke. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, a, a thing that always sticks with me with this movie is Yubaba creeps me the fuck she out. She really does, yeah. Um, and and it, just something about, like, she's like... He, there's, like, an almost... A, a little bit of, like, a normal grandmother look, but then just this gigantic extremely exaggerated head that just like is so very unsettling and i i find her design more unsettling than like even like kamaji because like kamaji's like he's so spider-like that it's like all right cool like i I can just accept what his design is but for her it's just like it's just such a distorted yet familiar thing that it's just like right it's almost like Um, they took that like italian grandma you know uh (laughs) stereotype and they just blew her head up (laughs) you know what i mean and I, I liked it. I thought it was cool, but the big nose really threw me off. Like, oh, so no. Josh, uh, for the What's sister, up? the twin sister, did you have uh-huh. the exact? Because I, I agree with you, but I think some of it also plays into the her personality traits, right? And even like the sure. how they let those personality traits affect her like physical demeanor. So like her use of mm-hmm. eyebrows and and the use of her finger, like how she does weird stuff with her fingers. But then of course yeah. we have that moment of misdirection when we're introduced to the twin sister, and it seems like she's maybe just as evil. But then uh-huh. by the time the, the, the movie comes around at the end, you kind of see her and she he actually has more of like a softer personality presence. And the movie kind of exp- the movie doesn't just shove it in your face, but it's explaining to you what was really going on um, throughout yeah. all that. And anyway, uh, I thought that it was a huge change despite having the exact same character design that. The mm-hmm. use of her eyebrows was a lot less sharp and a lot, uh, much more rounded and kind of uh, endearing. Her right. tone of yeah. voice was much more endearing. Of course, her actions were more endearing. But it, it felt mm-hmm. like, you know, whenever she's like, oh, call me granny, it felt like there was a re- – I, I was like, I could, I could do that. You know, I could look at <laughs> right. her and call her granny, <laughs> right, but right. I could not do that for you, Baba. No. Right. And I think that was – Yeah, I, I mean – 
That's a great point. They definitely, for it being the exact same character design, I think that certainly speaks to just the the, the mastery of the craft on display yeah. that they can make the exact same design two completely distinct personalities just in visual appearance and just in vocal delivery. Like, all of that mm-hmm. like it is super cool. Well, while we're on the topic of her, I was curious what mm. you guys thought was going to happen with that piece of paper. Because that... I, I thought that that piece of paper was going to ride Sen and end up killing Haku and it would be Sen's Mm. fault. But so what, how did you guys feel? Because I definitely got thrown off by that a little bit that, that got me. So sure. I mean, I think that was probably an intentional sort of, uh, thing of suspense. I mean, the the whole thing is like, you know, we we initially see a whole bunch of these paper bird looking things, uh, you know, attacking Haku and it looks like they're all like it's it's like a hive sort of mentality and mm-hmm. it looks like they're all threatening and then there's this one that seems to be helping her and of course you know I think between how we're introduced to all of them and how this particular one is shown to be weirdly sentient and <laughs> really effective uh, it, it's it's of course you know it lends itself to suspicion so I think it's it's a perfect setup for the payoff when uh, you know when Zaniba appears and just like starts fucking people up. Yeah. So Brett, how about you? Yeah. You know, one of the things I, first of all, before we even get into the rest of the day, that is, it was so gorgeously animated and there's beautiful. There really is something about, and and this is a a grand statement that kind of covers. I really miss traditional animation uh, animation. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. few studios do it now. And I am a sucker for 3D animation, and I love the amount of detail that they can get in there and get close to looking real, but also from a completely different world. Uh, I love how they can do something like that with like How to Train Your Dragon. You can give me extremely realistic water and sand, and I can believe all that, but these character designs and everything feel right at home on this otherwise realistic thing, despite not looking realistic themselves. Right. but mm-hmm. one of the things I just love about hand animation is I don't feel like you could do that scene and have it be as effective and as beautiful no. as it is in that hand animated. And oh, not. like Josh mentioned earlier, it just shows a, a mastery of the craft. I mean, mm. I loved all the fine detail of constantly like, you know, the fact that it was always there is one thing and that's pretty easy to keep. But I like that they chose to do more. It's like not only is it always on her, it's constantly moving where it's at on her. Yep. It's constantly doing something in an attempt to help her. Uh, and, and that's great because not only is it just a small detail that gets to keep coming through. It also just happens to be a really great cho- a chance of giving you something that's visually far more stimulating right. than just having it be there while also aiding the story. Uh, so, mm-hmm. but going back into the actual thing, uh, Blake technically touched on it, but uh, uh, and the fact that it's the the way that it's introduced is very uh, misdirecting, kind of almost on purpose. Yeah, and definitely. that's a thing that I noticed throughout the whole movie. Uh, the movie is steeped with misdirection that they use as mm. a form to keep you engaged, and I love that right. because it makes every step of the movie feel like I'm not really sure what's going to happen. And it's one of yeah. those things where I love that it makes your brain create a circumstance that you think is going to happen just to tear it down. And mm-hmm, I right. actually enjoyed that it's because. Almost- when you're watching movies and you feel like you know exactly what's going to happen, there's like a weird satisfaction with 
your ability to figure something out and i do in life mm-hmm. whenever i'm writing movies but i like it so much more when i think i have it figured out or at least something that might be close and then it's just nowhere near that right it definitely yeah. played on like my assumption of what was going to happen in that scene but i actually want to circle back to a point you were making about hand-drawn animation because i really agree with you and i think a really interesting example is um recently they remade the first pokemon movie I don't mm. know if you saw, they did it in full CGI, and mm. it looks mm. ten times worse. And <laughs> and like I've not watched it, so I can't actually make a statement. Uh, I imagine from the things I've seen, some scenes are just going to naturally look better and cooler. Mm. But I think you're right. Far more than not, the traditional animation will have more charm. Yeah, um, and I think it's it's one of the really bad problems of trying to make something in CGI that already exists in traditional. It's actually why I'm not a fan mm-hmm. of that. I was not a fan of them remaking The Lion King uh, because That's I feel like it completely missed it missed <laughs> the point of what yeah. the original Lion King was trying to go for. Right, uh, and and it's and, and that one was a little different because it's it, the goal was utter realism and they missed the mark mm. so bad on a story that's yeah. not supposed to be about realism it's not supposed to be about watching lions in the in africa you know and in, in this it's not that it's not supposed to be watching realistic lines do something that's clearly not realistic it's supposed to be watching a whimsical story take place with anthropomorphized, uh, anthropomorphized animals that express in mm-hmm. a way that you can connect with more so yeah right. I, I could definitely see what you mean yeah, I mean that was the big problem with Lion King is like they couldn't emote, and that was a big thing in this movie. Where like, even I really loved every time that someone got scared and their whole body would like fucking shiver. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was yeah. such a really good touch, and it really sold me. And it's just I loved that whole thing, and I think well, that was, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. If you want to go ahead and believe it or not, sentence. I was just gonna kind of trail off. So you're good. <laughs> okay, uh, <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> it, it, now this is still true of 3D animation. Now yeah. not CGI. That's goal is to be as realistic as possible. Uh, but one of my favorite things is that there's actually a guy who does uh, a lot of stuff uh, with animation, and he he's kind of. I mean, I, I don't even know if he's still alive anymore. But there's a book where they talk about like you know how do you know that you're animating uh, well and properly? And one of the mm. great things in that is he talks about you know if you're doing animation right. Mm. you should be able to completely turn the audio off and still have a fairly good idea of what's happening in any given moment. And going back to the Lion King, I'm not trying to jump on it, the Lion King 2019, but it is worth bearing. If you pause that movie or if you muted that movie, it'd be very hard to understand what's happening right. because there is no emotion. And that little body shiver that you talked about when people are scared and you kind of see that, or even the smell, like when you saw Yubaba's nose curl downward, <laughs> it was those kind of touches really sell a scene that much more with the audio. But it's great that even if you're, even if you couldn't hear it, you have a really great view of like, okay, body language in this situation and the extra element that this mm-hmm. animation can add can really sell something to you far more than real human actors could because of the limitations of our own bodies. Absolutely. You know? that's And that's actually a really good way to kind of bring Blake back into this for a second. Because I had thought of this at the beginning when we were talking about the parents, and now that we're specifically talking about the animation, it kind of makes more sense. What did you think of the animation, Blake? Because I think while I see where you're coming from, we're like, I can't see humans doing this kind of stuff. I think specifically you could not sell that opening scene with the food of that slow transition of them becoming more pig-like without it being animated. So I'm just kind of curious on your thoughts about that. 
I really like the animation and the art style of the movie. I don't have any qualms with it. I think it's one of the, especially when it comes to animated films, I think it's one of the most beautiful that I've ever seen. Yeah. So definitely. when it comes to that regard, I have no qualms with it at all. Mm-hmm. And I ultimately, like, I know, again, just kind of the same thing with, like, Mary Poppins is, like, I have no qualms with this movie. I don't think it's bad by any means. I enjoyed it overall. I just, you know, I don't want to keep just repeating myself saying the same things over and over, but. No. You know, I, well, I, mean, I liked it. I, I don't really have anything else to say when it comes to the animation, except that I really enjoyed it. I really liked it. Well, that's, that's why I'm honestly... I know I kind of couch the question weird, but I'm more curious about your opinion on, like, how this... How you would kind of see some of this stuff being sold in live action. Because I... Oh, I... Specific, sorry, ahead. no, go ahead. I was just going to say, no, I don't think it could ever be live action. Right. But I don't think very many animated yeah. films could be. Like y'all talked about the um, Lion King 2019 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like that movie didn't work because it was, I mean, it was technically animated, but you know, it was, it was made to mm-hmm. look real. And I yeah, think was, that, yeah. I think if you put any animated film, unless it's like an animated sitcom or something, but even to that regard, like something like Family Guy or South Park, like mm-hmm. the scenarios that they get themselves into wouldn't work live action either, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, a, a better, so, uh, a show that I know Blake loves that is actually animated, um, that is a sitcom that is probably the closest you could get, but I still would not want to see it be turned into a live action show is King of the Hill. It's one of oh, the most yeah. grounded, mm-hmm. realistic animated sitcoms yeah, out there. Yeah, for sure. But the animation still really plays a lot into the just what makes it charming, you know? Yeah. Right. Well, like, you, even with that show, not to get too far off in a tangent, but, like, there's an episode where, you know, he's, like, fishing with Crack Rock. Like, I don't think that would work live action. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, it just wouldn't be believable, you know, like, seeing a human, like, like a real human, like, thinking that that would be bait, you know? <laughs> so, I don't you know. You say like, that. But there are nine seasons of The Office that would disagree with everything that you're saying. That is 100% fair. That's fair. (laughs) Yeah, so I don't have any qualms with the animation overall. I I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Hmm. I'd be really curious, Blake, what you end up thinking of other movies that are just as skillfully animated, but maybe a little bit less in the realm of fantasy. Uh, the one that I'm thinking of is The Wind Rises. Uh, it's it, it's still the same quality of animation, but it's a lot more grounded, and it's very much like, it, it's just like, it's beautiful storytelling, and it's a lot less uh, fantastical. And, and I'd be curious uh, someday what you end up thinking of that one, and if it has kind of similar things for you where you just feel like you can't really get into it or if maybe it kind of addresses some of that for you yeah for sure i think maybe more grounded animation like brett pointed out with king of the hill and even like bob's burgers i really enjoyed that cartoon show as well Mm -hmm. um so maybe that's what my qualms with most animation is is that you know like again it's just hard to put into words but i just can't Mm -hmm. get over the fact that like um I don't know that like it could never happen and again that doesn't make any sense like I know that I'm not making any sense <laughs> but that's just my feeling on it <laughs> like yeah I'd be curious sure. to see from from what Josh was saying as well where you land on things that are more grounded because I think one of the things that happens is a lot of the time animation chooses to well not even chooses I think the reason that animation uh, becomes people's medium to speak through 
is because they want to do stuff that is not as limited by what the world around you can offer. So a lot of the times, mm-hmm. animated movies really are more fantastical and less possible they're not trying to be grounded in a in a world that feels real to our world it's they're being grounded in a world that feels real to their within themselves like a a self-enclosed world and when that's something like this where you have crazy spirits and ghosts and very over-the-top characters and larger-than-life situations happening in such a way that there's no grounding point or very very little Mm -hmm. grounding points depending on who you are uh, i see that really kind of becoming a problem but i'm also curious if you're going to swing the opposite way to where despite seeing beautiful animation and all these things i wonder if your brain might go to a point and this will be really the, the fun part of when we inevitably do an episode like that of if your brain goes well then why was it animated if there was if right. if there was no extra goal for the animation if they could have told the story live action then why tell it live action or why, sure. why not tell it live action i'd be curious if, if your brain swings that way because like you said you can't always control the way you feel about things right. even when you know they're irrational uh or at least right. they don't make it you know they don't quite line up in your own head but it's just a gut feeling that you get like well it's enjoyable in a lot of ways but it's just not hitting me in any mm-hmm. real you know yeah for sure. And I, I went into this like thinking like I really loved this movie, right? Because I saw it, I was probably 14 or 15. It was quite a while ago. It was probably a little over a decade. Um, hmm. And I really loved it. But that's the last time I saw it. And um, like I went into it expecting to really love it. And I did, I, I did enjoy it, but I didn't, like I don't think I'll ever watch it again. You know, it's not hmm. one of those things that I feel whatever pushed me to want to watch it again i guess mm-hmm. it's interesting because you guys were spending a lot of time talking about more grounded animation and i almost wonder if not necessarily fantastical but something like spider-verse where you couldn't do that animated there's no way to do that animated and or i'm sorry i keep saying animated live action you couldn't you couldn't do that live action there's no way to do that live action and a lot of the humor and the stuff that i really like out of that movie and we won't go too far into it because i'm a hundred percent sure we'll cover the movie absolutely oh yeah it's the they throw a punch and it's the bam and it's the yeah the stuff that pops up it's like this is a comic book and i almost wonder if that level of almost couching the animation in this is an animation you know what i mean would kind of help help well i've seen spider verse yeah yeah i've seen that and i i do like it i um i watched it once and i probably won't ever watch it again until you know if we do when we do cover it i'll watch it but (laughs) it's like like six times (laughs) like i didn't again i didn't not like it i just did it's just not something that i'll ever crawl back to on my own um and some of the animation (laughs) style of spider verse i was not a fan of at all so. Well, while we're talking about <laughs> Spider-Verse, and we should probably wrap it up here and get back to the main movie, but uh, it does at least somewhat, uh, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because I think it speaks to people who are very similar to Blake. Uh, there's people I know who enjoyed the movie, but there's so many people I know who now want a live action crossover. And to me, that's the worst possible idea. I think it, best case scenario, if you're going to get a crossover out of Spider-Verse, you're going to pull an animated version of Tom Holland's Peter Parker into Spider-Verse, yeah. not the inverse. I think that that's a terrible way to go. See, and it loses you everything don't want a, the movie. A real life Nicolas Cage up. Spider-Man. <laughs> so you said it. You I said do. it and I want Holy it. Shit. But the thing is, what I would say is, if you do do that live action, you can't have the characters from that movie. It has to be Andrew Garfield, Tobey Maguire, 
and Tom Holland. That movie I would watch. Mm-hmm. Into the Spider-Verse. I'm not going to lie. I would watch that, too. I, I actually loved Andrew movie. Garfield. Yes. Uh, I, I don't think that the second movie was handled well, but we're talking about a different movie, so let's not <laughs> let's not get too off the charts. All uh, right. <laughs> um, I guess the next thing to talk about, really, with the movie is Hakubi. We find out Haku's a dragon, and he's the river spirit. Breaks out of his... Breaks his bondage, as they'd say. Did anyone else get a little bit of an uh, like a never-ending story vibe totally. uh, when she was writing him? Like yeah, back. Totally. I actually have never seen that. Really? Oh my god! Yep. That was my jam. I actually I haven't seen it either, but like that shot is iconic. Oh, you can't. Yeah, it's almost like you know who Atreyu and Falcor are. Yeah. Even mm-hmm. you know, it's like it's the Scarface of kids' name, movies. Everyone has seen it. It really, <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Damn, that's wild. That's, it's really hard to think. I mean, he's like a white dog dragon. Oh and yeah, the way that I, they, I have no idea what this fucking thing is. I've never the, yeah, seen this before in my life. The, and, <laughs> I'm a lot like Josh Damn. in this because the way they chose to animate Haku's dragon is super, super similar <laughs> to uh, it, it. It looks like now, of course, the one from Never Ending Story is a lot softer in the face, but the way they did like the muzzle for the dragon and the teeth, it looks very wolf-like. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's got to be inspired by. You know what it also looks like for any video game people out there? It looks like the Terraria dragons when you start to build up into the uh, and up above into space area. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually uh-huh. barely played that game. Terraria is great. Uh, yeah, I think. Honestly, watching the animation on the dragons was one of my favorite things in this movie. Like the oh, yeah. the scene, especially the scene where Haku, I guess, breaks away from the spirit world and no, realizes what his name is when all the yeah. shards yes. exploded off of him. When it's almost like just, his scales lift off of him and break apart. Yeah. That was beautiful. That was one of those yeah. those laughs where I'm watching this movie and I'm like, oh. <laughs> You know, I just, uh, it was just pure joy (laughs) just watching this. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, I really was just very struck by that scene. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, that was a very joyous laugh and not creepy at all. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's like, that's like the movies. That's to me, that is one of the like iconic scenes of the movie. So. Uh, you know, it, it's really interesting that, that, that you brought that up because one of the only other, um, don't wrong, the whole movie's beautifully animated. There's tons of stuff, but just from a, you see it once mm-hmm. and you're like, I will probably remember that forever just because of how weird, I, I don't even know that scene's really, really great. But the, also, uh, the scene when she's on the train going to the twin sisters, uh, swamp area and she's looking and there's like that reflection and part of the reason i kind of like that is like it's it stays on that shot for a long time uh and it kind of to Mm -hmm. me was like indicative of like well of course this is just a mirror reflection but also in this movie you know it's almost like it's a callback to when she was a ghost because the reflection kind of looks like when she was starting to fade and see through herself and i just i don't know why i thought that was a cool little like yeah I, you know, I, I, to me, it look it was a cool nod back, but it's also just really beautifully done. And mm-hmm. one of the things that we talk about often so far on this show is that we really like when movies are not afraid to just linger on a shot yes. with no real reason. Mm-hmm. And I love mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah. I thought that <clears throat> that animation specifically, and 
<laughs> Excuse me. That animation specifically and the flowers transition. Um, oh, specifically yeah. when she's running through the flowers, but even that one where it's literally just a transition scene, that that mm-hmm. was really gorgeous. Like the way they sold, like the sense of speed that she had going through those flowers when she's mm-hmm. running through. Really loved that. I thought that was beautifully done. Yeah, um, you know, I think we'd be remiss to not bring up how cool the idea of, and I mean, maybe it's been used in other stuff, and it's probably actually tied into some kind of Japanese culture, but I love the idea of, like, how Yubaba technically enslaves people, uh, is yeah. by mm-hmm. taking their name from them and giving them a new name. Yep. Uh, I love that. And I even, I mean, I really thought it was cool that they even chose to kind of go like, she's like, I can't believe I almost forgot my own name. It's like, I thought that was a cool idea. It's like, you're bound by, you know, what we, what you're known to the earth as realistically. It's like, you know, your name is a huge part of your identity. And if you don't have it, then yeah, it's really easy to lose who you are in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways. It's almost interesting where I can't believe I'm the point of view, the one who makes this argument, but it's, it's a very like anti- um, capitalist, like anti-consumer message in a lot of ways. Where what like, in the hell are you talking? Think <laughs> about it, right? I'm not because arguing. I'm just. I, I'm. I want to know the reason what that you're I actually had a thought on that. One I too. knew it. I thought it was going to be you who said it. But it was me. Um, but but no. Think about like, think about that series of events. Right? You get a job. She gives you basically her employee number of sen and she loses her name it's almost like mm-hmm. all that matters is work that's all you're good for and that's all she cares about you for which the movie makes it clear that all she cares about is money but i think mm-hmm. that's almost like a the most like blatant example of kind of like oh fuck consumerism all this kind of stuff where it's like your name doesn't mm-hmm. matter you don't matter don't forget your name or you're going to lose yourself and you're doing all sure. this because of your job and i think that was really interesting how subtle that is but like it really kind of i mean yeah, Josh, go ahead. Because, I mean, all I was going to say is, of course, the movie has at least some undertone of, like, the some of the shortcomings of, like, uh, you know, the capitalistic work is everything mm-hmm. thing. But go ahead, Josh. Uh, I mean, I didn't have a ton to add on to that. I think that was, that was like, a in-reflection thought that came up. Because, I mean, there's so much other stuff going on. But, yeah, of course, you see, uh, I think especially through... Uh, Chihiro's like getting kind of onboarded to how grueling the work is. You see the really high standard that everyone is held to and the sort of, uh, you know, how well everyone knows their roles and knows each other and how like automatic it seems to the regulars who like make this place run. Um, and then you see, you know, it's, it's not like a, as Chris said, it's it's very like subtle, and it's not like a. I don't even think there's a whole lot to unpack there. No. But I mean, you definitely see it in moments of like, you know, when it's like, oh, uh, now would be a good time to ask for tips, and it's like mm-hmm. you see very quickly the sort of like pleasantness facade of like, yes, how can I serve you? You see that immediately melt away to like, hey, give me money. Yeah. Um, it when it's deemed acceptable, and it's very interesting seeing like you know there's that, and like everyone like sleeps very close together, and just all of that, but. Yeah, it, yeah, definitely the name tying into loss of identity and how that factors into, you know, losing yourself in work, uh, I think is a really interesting but very, like, kind of delicately made, uh, I don't know, yeah. it's an interesting thought. Yeah, it, it was something I do, that, like, um, just, sorry. go ahead, Blake, go ahead. No, I was good. just going to say, just to add something that I read yesterday afternoon, just kind of reading about the movie, um, 
is that there's a fan theory basically and this is kind of based on something miyazaki has also said in like an interview apparently or something <coughs> sure but and i could have done more research so i apologize for not being able to go more in depth on the theory but basically that it's like the movie's an allegory for like child prostitution yeah oh. i could see that mm. with like the bathhouse being like kind of like a sinister like i guess representation of that you know Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but mainly like because a, a cleaner version of a brothel but it could still yeah. be yeah because Miyazaki had also said I think in a couple interviews from what I read yesterday that you know Japanese culture has become something of like uh, like hyper sexualized or something like that and that yeah. it's basically like the society has become like a sex industry or something I think is the exact quote don't quote me on that quote because <laughs> I should have pulled it up but I didn't but yeah <laughs> Well, I mean, that's interesting. interesting. That's a good way to. It's at least it makes you even as just a theory. It makes you reframe some of the movie. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is like it's it's a good theory because even you just mentioning it, I'm like, oh yeah, I can see that. And like I didn't even do the research into it, you know. Because I mean, there yeah, are uh, you do see a lot of like children doing physical labor, whereas everyone the adults are kind of just bossing them around. Like, right. I don't think mm-hmm. Sen is the only child there. She's just the only child we see. Well, or okay, follow, so anyway. Sorry. One of the scenes, yeah, I think follow is a good way to put it. Because one of the things I think Josh was mentioning about the, uh, you know, kind of how you're supposed to give your whole life to work and how the people who have been there and are kind of running the meal you see, uh, I think one of the scenes he was probably calling back to is uh, the first day that Sen is working and she's going mm-hmm. through and she's lagging behind the other very young looking girls who are uh, kind of like mops sweeping the floor with the rag and Mm -hmm. she's lagging behind them i think that i mean i clearly took that as those were other if nothing else intended to show youth now of course they're spirits and the fact that haku looks like a young boy but he's a river spirit who's obviously hundreds of years old age is a really hard thing to actually nail here but i think if you're looking at through the through the eyes of that theory if you're looking at it then yeah there'd be a a little bit more of a reason to show uh to give a perceived age to a character through their design Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah and i mean uh yeah, I think it's very interesting uh, Lynn's comment to her when she's like, what, you haven't worked before? And it's very interesting seeing the the difference, you know, from uh, Chihiro coming from just like a normal childhood where she's like, oh, I'm bored, I don't want to move. Like, you know, she probably like goes to school and has a pretty normal childhood versus, you know, these kids who work grueling full-time jobs and live at work. Right. I mean, that's kind of one of the things that kind of makes me think that Lynn was human is that you see multiple scenes in the bathhouse of small girls like like um sen's age cleaning and mm-hmm. you're at the point where lynn is would be an adult and assuming that people age normally or as normal as you can here because i guess mm. the ending of the movie shows us that you don't age normally oh yeah but assuming that you age to a point where let's say lynn came as a child kind of the same way that um sen did and she grew up in this thing she forgot her name and this is her life so she's like oh you haven't worked before i've been working since i was 10 now i'm your boss i get an assistant and i think Mm -hmm. it also kind of i almost confirmed my own fan theory with just how many pigs there are right because all those pigs have to be i'm assuming all those pigs are people and parents who came in yeah Mm -hmm. 
Interesting. So I do want to read something real quick because I just looked it up. That way I didn't feel like I was mentioning something and not kind of you know, going on further in <laughs> sure. depth with it. But um, it says that, you know, after the parents are turned into pigs, basically it says after this, she is forced to work in the bathhouse and a witch named Yubaba gives her a new name. This is a common practice mm-hmm. among prostitutes in Japan and I think here as well because I don't know that any prostitute goes by like their... Like government name, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. but By their taxable name. <laughs> I think it's for safety <laughs> right. reasons, of course, but yeah. Yeah, for sure. But, um, and this goes into like symbols that are in the film or whatever, which I, I'm not going to even pretend like I could say, so I'll just kind of skip that part. But, um, we can, I'll put the link on the Discord. We can put it into the, uh, show notes. Yeah, that'd be but, really um, cool. It says the bathhouse is rumored to be a metaphor for a brothel in which. Chihiro must work to free her parents. Historically, bathhouses in Japan used to have prostitutes working in them and offering their services until it was banned by the Edo police. And it basically says, Mm. um, and I don't mean to just keep reading, but I just want to go more in depth with this. But it says, yeah, it's interesting. In the film, she was hired as a yuna, literally translated as bath girl in Japanese. Mm. This word is used Mm. for a woman who works in a bathhouse to bathe and massage clients, but very often this service used to include sexual services. So Mm. a yuna in the past would often become a bathhouse prostitute. And you might also notice that all the gods that visit are ogami or male gods, further suggesting the sexual side of the metaphor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And it keeps going, but I'll just put the link in there because it's a fairly long article. I don't want to read the whole thing, but um, it's from japaninfo.com or jpninfo.com. Yeah, you know, I think uh, to to kind of go to that thing's credit, I could understand how in, you know, definitely in older times when these things weren't as, uh, you know, law wasn't set up the way that it is, uh, I think it'd be really easy. And even now, I think it would work if it was if you could pull it off. I think it makes sense to kidnap an entire family that has a young child and use the family as leverage to the child to get them to cooperate and do what you want. Uh, you know, For there's sure. no better way than that kind of perverse coercion to be like, you're going to do what I want you to do. Otherwise, you're going to lose everyone that you know and love. Uh, and I think that that's a lot more effective than just taking someone from a position that they don't know because sometimes that can actually make people lose all of everything because they're like, well, I don't know of anything. But if they know that something they already had personal is on the line, then they might be more likely to uh, to go along with it. And that's just um, it's it's, it's uh, terrible to think about, <laughs> but it's uh, interesting. Uh, it, yeah, it's one of those things. Of it's another reason I. Which of course, this can happen in, across all movies, but I think animation does a lot of really great stuff to uh, subtly put things in there that can be taken in so many different ways. Sure. Yeah, it's this with an important message, or the Little Mermaid poster having a dildo on it. You know, animation <laughs> does crazy things. You've never seen that. No. The poster Wait. for The Little Mermaid has a dildo on the, the castle. The cover does, actually. It's a penis. One of the yeah. Well, complete. Uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like on a little bit of a tangent, my old uh, elementary school art teacher used to have a Little Mermaid poster in her room. And I remember one day like seeing that online and then going into her classroom and looking and being like, oh, shit, there's a dick on that poster. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, uh, complete detour from that. I love uh, all of Miyazaki's, like, cute characters. Uh, There's usually at least, like, a couple or at least one in, like, most of the movies. And uh, Bo in his, like, hamster form and that little bird. That was awesome. uh, I loved them the whole time through. Just, like, their little, like, antics and, like, they're (laughs) interacting with the soot sprites and just, like... 
their whole little montage toward the end where they were like uh, working out on like the loom and then they <laughs> ran over to like inhale some cookies and then went back to running on the loom like I love that kind of shit. Yeah, yeah. there was such a, and it's such a, like a little nod, but I loved uh, you know after which I already thought the beginning part was funny whenever uh, the she steps on the little black slug thing and then <laughs> Kamaji comes over and like breaks her fingers to you know yeah. spell off the evil i already thought that was cute in a kind of endearingly funny way but i do think it was somewhat meant to be taken seriously I, though i also kind of had the idea of like is this komaji's way of kind of having fun like you know is this kind of like mm. hey squish it it's like hey you know this is a little girl who deserves a little bit of fun here and there and this is a weird way of doing it but um it was so cute seeing yeah the the, the hamster and thing going over there and re-stepping on the footprint that she left behind <laughs> and kind of reenacting the whole thing and putting the fingers together and having the soots break it and then being like saved it was very cute yeah, yeah. the yeah. one thing i'll say about those two characters is i really liked the moment where um they were like no you're good the spells weren't off you can change back and they were just like no you know <laughs> and now i'm kind of yeah this is way more fun but that's the thing right it's like that's how you look at it initially and now i'm kind of thinking about it, i'm like is that like a really tragic admission on their part that they just want to continue living as these animals instead of going back to their real life with um i can't remember her name now Yubaba. yeah Yubaba. well i mean you get that moment uh like under like that mountain of pillow cushions where you get to understand how really sad and empty uh, the giant baby's life is where he's been fed all of this misinformation about the outside world. And he's been told that like, he's only safe if he stays here and is under Yubaba's protection. And it's just like, uh, you know, that's a theme that gets explored a lot in different stories, but you know, it's very like, I don't know. It was just like sad. It's like, as much as you see him as like this, you know, this giant horrific baby throwing tantrums like as soon as he says that you're like oh my god right. like what, what a sad existence so it's it's really cool to see like oh he's just like exploring the world and stuff and going on an adventure and that's really cool yeah it's kind of almost like the uh fantasy equivalent of keeping the uh what's a delicate way of saying this the deformed son in the chained in the basement you know what i mean mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of the same a little bit yeah, nicer yeah I, yeah, it was really sad to hear, like, to kind of, and I mean, of course, the baby is introduced in a somewhat bratty way, but it's mm. introduced in a way that kind of humanizes how it gets there. It's like, hey, play with me right now, or I'm going to cry. I don't get to be out of here. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the mom is treating her like bubble boys. Like, this is this is your bubble. Yeah. You can't get out of it. Uh, and she, it's like the Yubaba is keeping the the child the baby forever. And yes. you, you really have that reinforced when she comes back turns from the hamster and is standing there and she goes you can stand on your own when did that happen and clearly we yeah. saw it happen whenever the baby decided to walk out and say i'm not scared of germs so it's we know it's something that's been known for a while but it's like the baby did not want to make it aware because she knew that the mother would not be happy with it yeah <clears throat> yeah almost yeah. everyone in yubaba's circle has kind of this tragic story all her yeah for sure character all her employees everyone else so i really think the last thing we kind of need to go into is the ending so we get to where they're taking the tests i didn't know how she figured this out how she figured Mm -hmm. out her parents weren't there i guess it's kind of like the oh she had the intuition because of the love for her parents but well the movie does a lot to kind of i mean not a lot but it does at least a little to try and set it up uh with the 
you know, whenever Haku introduces him, he actually kind of says what ends up being the truth. Yeah. He's like, you need to know which one you, you need to take a close look. Cause you're going to need to know which ones are your parents. Um, to mm-hmm. be able to free them. And that sentence ended up being exactly true. The final test was needing to know which one was her parents so that she could free them. Uh, and I, yeah, it was uh, very interesting. Also from the standpoint that I don't know if it was just because of all the things that had happened, but did it seem like that, that whole situation kind of softened you Baba a little bit? Like she had a moment of like vulnerability of like, I'm glad this little girl got, you know, what she needed before kind of doing that quick change back of like, I'm not really back, but it's like, get out of here before I change my See, mind. I actually didn't think it had anything to do with Sen. And I had, I thought it had to do with her being glad that she didn't have to do something that would get her child mad. <laughs> Maybe. Because it seemed like she was just going to let them go. But then Sen was like, no, I have to do the deal. She's showing her honor or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it almost seemed like she was kind of taken aback and a little upset that but, she couldn't just move on. Yeah, fair. And you know what? Good for Sin, by the way. I thought I that agreed. was very true to her character to say, no, my, you know, a deal is a deal. And yeah. if this was the agreement, then we'll honor it. I thought that was cool. No, I like that moment a lot. Josh, how about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have a whole lot to add. I mean, um, yeah, I, I think it's kind of it's interesting seeing where the relationship ends up with Yubaba, where it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's very tense the whole time. And she seems to like insist on making herself an obstacle, like no matter what, and even like going out of her way to do so. Um, and in some cases I kind of like, I'm almost curious, like what her reasoning is at that point, if she doesn't seem to have anything else to gain from like placing herself as opposition other than just to do it. She's a monster. Um, yeah, I guess. I mean, it's like, I guess it's just weird to me. It's like uh, along the way, I see a lot of like, oh, okay, she's maintaining her place in the hierarchy. And maybe that's all it comes down to is just like, you know, this, these are the rules that she has laid out as the person in charge. So she has to enforce them. She'll look weak. I don't know. Um, well, I kind of viewed it as well. Yeah. It's like she's been in charge for so long that she, that she doesn't know anything that exists outside of her power. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah, because, I mean, we get moments where she seems like she could be nicer and she's even capable of showing, like, some levels of affection. So it's like, Mm -hmm. to me, it felt like after everything that had happened, wouldn't she, like, want to cut her a break? But, oh, well. Um, But, yeah, it it was nice to have that kind of triumphant ending. And then that weird, kind of wistful, bittersweet, again, sort of akin to Alice in Wonderland, like, you know, stepping back into reality and it just sort of feeling like... I don't know. It n- not to say uh I'm trying to figure out how to say this. It it has a similar quality to me of like when you wake up and you realize you slept through a movie. Um <laughs> of you're just like, "Oh fuck, where the where am I?" Um that that was that's kind of how the end of this movie feels to me where it's just like, "Man, I I was in there for how long? I don't even know." And it's just like reality, like returning to reality feels just like, "Man, I do not recognize this place. I have been gone so long." Yeah. Um so, but yeah, I'm assuming Blake doesn't have much to add because <laughs> Blake didn't have much to say about the movie. Correct? I just don't want to yeah. skip you. I'm not trying to be a no, dick. no. You're good. <laughs> I um, yeah, I don't really have. I didn't take very many notes. I, yeah, I don't really have much to add. Cool. So I guess the one thing that I will say about the ending, and we can kind of move on to closing out the show. Really, is just that 
my biggest issue with the ending is that the parents didn't learn anything. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up too. But there's two things about the ending I really liked. Uh, one, I just love how like Josh mentioned, like you're coming back into the real world that almost feels less real now in comparison to everything else that you've seen. Um, yeah. But um, I love that the movie decided to have it to where time had actually passed. You know, I was really mm-hmm. wondering, I was like, I was almost like, Oh, is this going to be an Alice in Wonderland thing where she comes out of it? And she's just been like essentially the same as if she fell asleep under a tree for like 20 minutes. <laughs> but, uh, in this movie, it was more of like a, Hey, we don't know exactly how much time has passed, but we know enough time has passed that the car is dusty on the inside. And I liked that. They, they get, not only did they show visual details, but they gave a verbal detail that they, it would have been harder to show. It's like, well, Hey, it's dusty inside the car. And these, tree branches are all over uh, all the grass but, was like two feet tall too mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm, yeah I, to me it was kind of weird that it was like a that the parents didn't think anything weird of it at all which i guess just says a lot about the fact that when they're pigs like he mentioned they forget about their human form so as soon as they got turned back into not being pigs i guess their memory would kind of pick back up yeah um, mm. but one of the I, things that I, I was kind of disappointed at and i know this sounds weird i love the little line that she said of like we don't want to miss the movers i kind of wish that we would have gotten to see like the parents show up and be like oh fuck <laughs> we, <laughs> all we've their been stuff gone for, is ransacked <laughs> yeah yeah no i think i think the one thing i really like about the ending outside of you know the parents not learning anything is that they made it so abundantly clear that this happened that there you mm. can't have this like well did we can't have a debate about did it happen because they make right. it very clear with the headband they show mm-hmm. they make it like a point to show she has the headband from before as she leaves and then just even past that they show the dirt and they show the grass and they show the trees and they show the dusty car so they're literally putting it in your face like no this shit happened she went to the spirit world there's no she fell asleep against a tree while her parents fucked in the bathroom you know (laughs) it's it's just she went she had this experience she saved her parents and she moved on well look i'm gonna put this uh i want to put kind of your frame of logic that you used in uh, the town here Mm -hmm. the movie's not about her parents it's about her story and her journey so we don't need to have redeeming moments or anything for the parents because they're ultimately not there for anything other than right. just to be a catalyst for the situation. So, I mean, and, but you know, the parents are literally if, pigs to slaughter. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> no, I, I was saying, but if the uh, like the bathhouse allegory is real, then uh, she was put there because of her parents' greed. She was paying off that debt, basically. You know, right. So if anything, yeah, yeah, they were the ones on that needed to learn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair. Yeah, but that's why theories are kind of hard because realistically, obviously, the movie, even if that's an underlying note of something that they're tapping into, it's not like the whole movie is actually trying to be that storyline. No. Um, mm. But, you know, one thing that I'm a little surprised that none of us had mentioned, and I think it'd be kind of a, a shame because I think it's a really important part of the movie, say. is we haven't talked about No Face really yeah, at all. I was going to bring that up yeah. next, actually. I just realized that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, we technically have skirted around a lot of scenes that include him. Yes, um, mm-hmm. and it's interesting that we have. Uh, but like, uh, it's it's weird because he's a he's such an odd character. Even though 
like the movie tries to portray him in the long run as a character that's major and necessary but in a lot of ways it's also like you could almost completely remove him from the movie yeah. and not much would change uh it's a shame mm-hmm. though because he's kind of like an iconic part of the movie it's like you you re- you know what it is when you see it you're like ah, mm-hmm. i know exactly what that is he's he was my favorite character in the movie so it, it kind of speaks to exactly what you're saying that none of us brought him up but it, it was very he was basically like he made up some of the best scenes that didn't do a ton for the movie you know I mean, like they did some. Of course, he was yeah. a big he was a big push towards the idea of showing greed uh, with the ability to come up with gold. And then, of course, uh, when you see uh, one of the and I, I, this is another scene that I, I did want to mention, like you know, just scenes in general that we liked. Uh, but there's some there's definitely some thematic stuff in here, and what makes up Yubaba as a character uh, when Haku comes in and he says, uh, you know, something you're very you know something that's very dear to you has been replaced and you haven't noticed and she doesn't even think of her kid first she looks at the gold yeah it's the very first thing she does she's like wait because the gold at that moment and throughout that whole happenstance is the most important aspect of every bit of it Uh, and then it it takes her a second to get around to like well if it's not the gold then what is it and then what i loved even more than that is that she kind of got to the point where she's like well no the gold is real and then she looks up at the baby and then whenever the baby spell goes away and she cast it away the gold also goes away so it's like she just got one two punched (laughs) yeah well the Mm -hmm. other thing that the movie never calls out but we know is that she also doesn't have control over Haku anymore in that moment. Mm-hmm. And I really right. wish the movie know. would have touched on that a little bit more. It's like, yeah. why tell us that the slug was how she was controlling Haku and then still essentially have it end in a way where it's like all the criteria was met for Haku to be able to ostensibly leave. He discovered well, his real name. We know who he is. But I guess maybe because he's... I mean, I don't know. It's very interesting. Like, I know he doesn't have a home to return to. I'm yeah, glad the that they at least talked home. about that. Uh, but it's like... It, it somehow still seemed like he was bound there. Well, for see, no other yeah. reason than just because he we couldn't have him go with her because that would be too much. Well, see, I disagree. Because I think that's the thing about Haku that you found out. is It's basically the Sixth Sense twist where Haku's been dead the whole time he's a spirit the same as anybody else mm. um be, and he can't leave because spoilers he, yeah spoilers <laughs> dude I'll, I'll bleep it out like i did in the town it's fine <laughs> <laughs> um no but no, i lost it uh Hawk thanks dead, blake <laughs> i wasn't even the first one to say it <laughs> oh. well hey can we talk about the most important character radish spirit I loved him yeah. mainly because of how much it, I love that the movie again this goes back to the misdirection the movie makes you think that the reason like and of course it's it's definitely through Chihiro's eyes uh, that mm. it, they're they're follow, she he's following them because mm. he's on to the fact that she's a human when his only goal is just to get higher up <laughs> yeah I mean I, I love how he's like menacing at first and then he's just like dopey but also just does not give a fuck like the whole time but yeah it's cool to see him like wandering around and then he's like he's like in the party scenes later like fucking going at Uh it um you know one of the things about no face uh that was 
really interesting is I feel like they kept trying to touch on using him. I mean, like I said, they did use him to some extent, but I kept expecting them to use him e- even more in direct use, like with with uh, Sin. And but one of the things that I, of course, the, I'd say the biggest thing is that he just continuously is a way for the movie to draw back to the fact that she has infallible character because it's mm. like they keep. He keeps and, and to me, I guess like I like that at least the movie does this where it's like he's constantly chasing her approval because it's the only person he can't get the approval of. So it's like, mm-hmm. hey, yeah. here I want to give you this bath token that you were needing to get and this guy wasn't helping. And that was like a nice thing. It's like, okay. But then he tries to bring her more. It's like, hey, you wanted bath tokens? I've got bath tokens. Here you go. And she's like, Well, no, thank you. I only needed the one. And then of course he comes and he's like, well, people like gold. People got really excited over the gold. I guess I'm just going to go gold. Mm-hmm. That's what everybody likes. Comes to her and it's like, hey, gold. And then whenever he gets in the room with her and he's super gluttonous and has kind of lost control of himself, it's still like his single-minded goal is just, what can I do to make sin want me? And it's it's kind of like a twisted way because in that point it's like, you know, take the gold because he's trying to. It's almost like he's trying to eat her, like he did with everyone else, as he's lost control of yeah. himself. Um, and there's a line that ties into that that I'm curious of if it comes into that. Uh, you know, uh, and I mean, of course, it's what she's kind of referencing whenever they're going in the little boat thing to the railroad tracks. And he's, and she says, I think being inside of there makes you crazy. Yeah. And of course, he really lost himself while he was in there. Um, we, but we also yeah, didn't absolutely. talk about how the, the greatness of him clearly being able to see her before she breathed. Mm, yeah you know when she's walking across the bridge so he's a really interesting character i guess i just feel like by the time that everything's said and done they kind of just like well he was just here for a few things that the story needed him for and we're just going to deposit him at the twin sister's house which is at least a happy ending for him but. so i now have a theory based on what blake okay. said and i think i don't know exactly how it would wrap around but i think no phase is basically the spirit of a child because if you that, yeah. of like a if you really think about the way the story rap, uh, goes with him is he's trying to impress the other child that he sees and who mm-hmm. is nice to him the only really the first person who is nice to him is the person he kind of imprints on we're saying yeah. him but I guess I don't we don't know its gender but um, no I'm talking about Sen and No Face is the the first person who really oh is Sen yeah. is the first person who's nice to him because she lets him in the bathhouse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but then it's like you're saying he's trying to impress people by he's trying to impress Sen in almost a childlike way of by going above and beyond what she needed, you know. And she he sees everyone freaking out about the gold and he's like, oh, I want to make everyone happy. Here's gold, kind of in a, again in a childlike way, just offering this ridiculous amount of gold just for people to be happy. <clears throat> um mm-hmm. and then in the end he gets adopted right like <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah he gets to live at some chill granny's place in the i don't know on like a farm or some shit <laughs> get, gets to a learn to knit too i <laughs> do some crochet <laughs> um yeah i mean unless anyone has anything else i th- think that might be it for spirited away 
Um, let's see. I want to make sure I didn't miss any of the scenes. I think one of the things that I, I'd also be remiss not to talk about, and I really, I have a feeling that hopefully everyone agrees because mm. it's just, uh, it's so overwhelmingly great, is uh, the soundtrack, the original soundtrack for this movie is just oh, it's incredible. hauntingly beautiful. And one of the weird things is it's been a long time since I've watched a movie, actually, just by owning it. Um, and more recently, having played Hollow Knight, uh, OS, the OST mm. in that is, is very it's like it's really beautiful but it's also kind of like downtrodden and like sad uh and and reflective in a way and i feel like every time that um, a song would really stick out to me in this i'd be like man i don't know why that makes me kind of think of hollow knight which just kind of makes me wonder if you know these kind of soundtracks were an uh, inspiration to it but it's just i love that kind of use of a soundtrack a lot of moments were met with kind of a somber like soak this moment in like you know this is a really this is an interesting moment for this character. This is a, mo- a moment that's more than what it may appear on the surface. And yeah. um, great use of music. I guess. Ev- Absolutely. Even though I was the one trying to close the show, I do have one more scene <laughs> to talk about. <laughs> and it's the scene that made me laugh the most where uh, when Sen is going up to get a job from uh, Yabu and she just goes, mm-hmm. come here. And then pulls her through the fucking gigantic hallways. Oh man, yeah, I loved the way that looked. That that had me just cracking up the whole time that was going on. Well, and it was really cool, right? Like I yeah. love that they had they they didn't have to, but they chose to add the detail of every door shutting as soon as she came through it yep. behind her. Mm-hmm. And it's like you have this labyrinth of doorways, and they're all just shutting. It was just really cool from an animation perspective. Agreed. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's an iconic scene. Like that's you know. That's like one of the all time like animated like just like cool looking things that mm-hmm. people will like reference and look back on. Oh yeah. And this movie has a bunch of those. Like even like the her running down the stairs is another one that's just I'm like, glad oh, you that was like a little moment. Scene. Yeah, and one of my favorite things about that is that the movie is almost like they realized that it was gonna be such a, a, a strong, memorable scene because Oh, not only the fact that it is it just really well done and really, but it plays so much into where the characters at at that moment of the movie at the beginning when she's mm. so deathly scared, she's coming down these stairs, mm. uh, one little cling at a time, and then suddenly she loses the ability to do that, and it's like I'm in it now. And it, it speaks to who she is as a character. It's like once she's going, and she's like, well, I can't stop, so she's just running and screaming the whole way <laughs> until she smacks the wall. And then I love that they brought that back later with No Face when she's running from him after giving. Him the medicine and mm-hmm. she's running around the whole staircase and then she comes down and she hits the wall again and then he hits the wall i thought that was so cool i just i love that scene yeah yeah i actually didn't catch that callback like even though like i obviously saw them hit the wall i had i forgot to connect that to her hitting the wall earlier in the movie and i think it also speaks a lot to where she's at as a character because she's handling that whole situation so much more confidently than she did the first time right to the point where at the end of the first one we see her hit the wall then what does she do she stays there almost terrified like i survived and then the the frog chef opens the window (laughs) and then she just kind of like slinks around the corner but in this one she hits the wall again but it's almost like it has no effect on her she's like oh and then she immediately runs off like confident again i just i -hmm. feel like what a it's a it's a really cool scene to show something that's so true to who the character is at the specific time and to show character growth you know right absolutely yeah well, I think that that is just about it for me as well. I think uh, all the notes that I really had have been all touched right. on. Oh, um, one small thing. <laughs> and I, I, apparently I just look into a lot with movies. Uh, 
again, so the scene that I actually talked about with her breaking down um, after uh, Lynn tells her not to trust Haku and anything he says, after she's put so mm. much trust in him, like letting her sh- letting him essentially almost date rape her, which maybe that's also tying into the prostitution thing where he's like forcing this pill looking thing into her. I mean, of course it's food, but it's <laughs> pretty bad that he's just like, here, take this and just shoves it in her mouth. Um, mm. But of course, go ahead, go ahead. The funny thing is that they end up calling back to that moment too at the end, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. she's forcing Haku to eat the uh, healing item, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and the phoenix down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but one of the things about that is like it, it says a lot about it, it. Kind of reinforces the childlike view of all this because, and of course, the whole aspect of just love and, and trust in general. Uh, but right after being told not to trust Haku, and then having that be like the breaking point for her to start crying and being like, after all this crazy stuff, I can't even trust the one person I thought I could. Uh, mm-hmm. Immediately after she's trusting him explicitly, come with me, wake up, meet me at this bridge. She goes and does it all. No questions asked. She goes and sees her parents. Uh, he tells her to eat the little rice cakes and she immediately eats them. It's like, it's very interesting to me that it, to me, it's like a, a show of uh, on her naivety. It's like, you know, it's to bring home more the fact that this is a kid who's scared and out of her element. And even though she was told not to trust this guy, she doesn't really have much else to go on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I do think the interesting thing about that, their relationship is I think that he's inherently trustworthy to her because he's probably one of the few people who she's interacting with around her age, too. It's a big thing. Yeah. That's a good well, point. Like I said, age is. I mean, I, I I get it at the same time, but age is such a weird construct within the within that movie because it's like. Yeah, but I'm he, not talking about like his, you know, license age. I'm talking just in <laughs> yeah. terms of what he looks like. He has the appearance of a ten year old boy because that's how I thought he was. But he has know. the confidence of like a thirty year old Rambo badass. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, so, I mean, he looks I, like Trunks, so he might as well have the <laughs> Trunks. <laughs> and the sword to go with it. Yeah. yeah. I'm from the future, Dad. <laughs> Dad, you're going to grow a terrible mustache. Don't do it. <laughs> and that's why GT is no longer canon, boys. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> All right. Well, I think with that, I am going to wrap up this episode of Midweek Matinee, Spirited Away Edition. We're going to do ratings real quick? Yes. We will we end do ratings. off on ratings, and we will start Blake with goes first. Blake. Uh, I give it three stars. That's good. How about you, Josh? Out of 500. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so also as good as Red Dead Redemption 2. How about <laughs> okay. Brett? <laughs> I'd give it a solid 4.5, four and a half stars. There we uh, go. It's, it's just, just shy. I, I'd honestly, I'd go as far as to say that really it is a perfect movie, mm. but there was a couple of things I would have wanted to see touched on more despite that, kind of like you. So four and a half. Fair enough. And Joshua? Uh, I B out of five. <laughs> no, uh, four out of five for me. Nice. Okay. Well, I gave it five stars. Two in a row for me. Not a hard grader, but I really like this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not a tough grader either. I don't think of personally five as like perfect. I don't think any movie's perfect. Yeah. But I get what you I get what you mean, Brett. I wasn't trying to say you're wrong yeah, no. on your rating. I was just no, saying. I, 
Yeah, I understand. I mean, and there's times where even when you know something's wrong, I mean, like honestly, I was debated giving it a five, but I try not to give things fives lightheartedly. Oh, my letterbox is like thirty percent five out of fives. <laughs> like I'll get real close, you know, for games I'll be like nine and a half out of ten. Uh, but I try and really be careful and not give things the one hundred percent, partially because I, I really want people to, to some degree feel confident in my in my score being reflective of what they might get out of it but i also of course the great thing about the show is we can describe why we feel the way we do yeah uh, for sure about that score so that's really good because you know i mean you may not agree that it's a four and a half out of five but i think it's a you'll be far less like why the hell did he think it was a four out of five or four and a half out of five then and you watch it and you didn't necessarily love it then you'd be like why did he think that that was a five out of five <laughs> you know Mm-hmm. I don't know though. Really great movie. So I mean, I, I would I, and I have. I would watch that plenty of times. It's a fantastic yeah. movie. I would not to start controversy at the end of the show, but I personally would say this is oh, the best God. movie we watched so far. Okay. So I think Mary Poppins is number one. <laughs> I just <can't. laughs> Mary Poppins is as good as Red Dead Redemption Two. <laughs> <laughs> you anyway, know what? So- <laughs> Red Dead Redemption Two is sorely missing Dick Van Dyke. Uh, it would probably be just as bad. Yeah, I mean, good, better. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to sign off this episode right now. I would like to give, I think we've been kind of lacking on social interactions. So if you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at F I G Z 21 K. And then we can kind of go around the room and everybody can give out theirs. Cause I'm not spelling all your ads out. And then, uh, once we kind of go <laughs> through that, we'll have Brett run us through our outros and our Patreon stuff. And then we'll see you next week. So for me next week I want to watch Prisoners. Oh, oh, oh what a shit. good fucking movie! <laughs> so it's it's one I've been really eager to return to because I've only actually watched it once. Uh, I've but never it's seen such it. a fantastic movie, and I would hmm. be really surprised if anybody comes at comes in hating it. Uh, though I, totally down for the conversation. So yeah, Prisoners. It's a movie with uh, Hugh Jackman and Jake uh, Gyllenhaal. It's fantastic. Yeah. So uh, I've at seen least it I on think Twitter so. a lot, and I've always wanted to see it. Yeah, so it's going to be a good change of pace too. We've had some, uh, you know, we've been kind of doing a good thing of ebbing between something that's a little more lighthearted. Now that we've kind of gotten in this flow, so I think it's good to occasionally, you know, not stay on something for too long. So this is going to be a very hard turn. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Just wanted to bring that up. Uh, but uh, Josh, did you want to go ahead and throw your Twitter in? Uh, yes, I am at Android is a loser. Uh, I am that on every platform on the internet, uh, including 4chan now. I got them to do it. Um, <laughs> just kidding, kids. Stay off of 4chan. There's a, <laughs> it's, a, it's a dark place. <laughs> Is that what them old people talk about when they say the dark web? <laughs> the hacker known as 4chan. <laughs> All right, Blake. Oh yeah, um, mine is yeah. I mean, you can follow me if you want. I uh, it's at p o b s t underscore Blake underscore nine two. Please, Shuhei. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and of course you can follow the show in itself in earnest on Twitter at 
matinee underscore midweek. You can go to our Facebook page and like us there. It's midweek matinee uh, and see the posts that we have. We got some fun stuff where we take screenshots from the movies that we're talking about for that week and post them up. Beautiful screenshots. Mm-hmm. Um, we do some trivia bits that are really cool. There was one we just put up about the lighthouse, which is our episode this week, which is really interesting and just uh, adds a little bit to your knowledge of the movie and maybe will make you rethink some of the scenes and appreciate them differently. Uh, and of course, we put the show up there. So if you want to follow us so that you never miss an episode, go ahead and do that. If you uh, would like to, you can subscribe to us on podcast services where you can listen to us. We're on everywhere from iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music. If we're not on one that you like, let us know and we'll make that uh, happen. If the one that you're listening to us on, like iTunes, has a rating system, please give us a review uh, so that people can see if our show is worth their time, what you did and did not like about it. And of course, that lets us know what you did and did not like about it so that we can take that into account. Uh, and before we wrap up off of here, uh, if you would like to support us on Patreon uh, or support the show in more than just with your time, which we love, then you can go over to patreon.com slash nartech and get the show a week early as well as some other interesting stuff depending on what you like. Uh, so until next week. Th- mm-hmm. Peace out. Thanks to our patrons. Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green, my name is Dan, Luke Bartolomeo, Sean Santarud, Funk Turkey, Danny Villiobos, Corey Hickerson, Blake Popes, hey, Shadowist, Steven Salazar, The Stonard, Travis Below, Mr. Chris Figgs himself, Eduardo Palomino, Stefan Swanlin, Constantly Kenny, Solitary Red, uh, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Brandon Edwards, Sean One Neo, and lastly, Tyler Powers. Thank you, guys. Shall we? We shall. Shall we? I don't know. You know, I'm glad that we weren't recording because in case I want to say some deep, dark secret, like I like to go and wear my wife's underwear and shoes and prance around the house, nobody has the chance to hear that. That, You know what I mean? I hope you're not recording because if you are recording, I'm putting it in the podcast. (laughs) What? No. All right. I Remind mean, me to stop recording. I mean, if that was supposed to be a secret, then I would never. I, I would did never not do, do a that. very good job of keeping it a secret, did I? I would I just told three people who I know just through online interactions. <laughs> I would never put that in the back of the podcast. I would just hide it behind all the audio, so you'd have to really <laughs> like in the middle of being like, you know, Chirio was going through and doing all the shit, and then there was a big, you know, and in the background you just hear, I like to take my wife's underwear and shoes (laughs) (laughs) it's a patreon exclusive clip (laughs) (laughs) oh by the way another one another one another one another one another one and another one and another one that i genuinely hate (laughs) i mean and it's the only time i've ever been to a movie theater 
paid to watch a movie and multiple times throughout the movie was like, could I legitimately go request my money back? <laughs> that was how I felt right, with Jurassic yes. World. Oh, that movie's good. I, I did like not Jurassic watch Jurassic World. World. Both uh, of them were good. I think the thing for Have Jurassic World... The one has people and dinosaurs running down a mountain from a <laughs> volcano that is exploding. You cannot fucking get better than that. Okay, <laughs> and, and, and <laughs> here, here's my thing. It, it's... If that's what you want, then that's fine. But to me, the Jurassic Park, at least the first movie, it's still a movie with heart. And to me, it just mm-hmm. feels like they're trying to make an amusement park experience that fits in a movie right, theater. Because they're never going to top the first one. They never yeah, have. The never. second and third one mm-hmm. suck. World are better than second and third one. And, and, I, and I understand that. But I still think they can aim higher than... Something that to me feels as cinematically interesting as the Rock's cameo on the Fast and the Furious ride at Universal Studios. <laughs> so, so what? So what you're saying is, what you're, <laughs> fucking people. What, this is what this podcast is all about. Though. You just mean that Jurassic World is about as good as Red Dead Redemption Two. Oh, wow. <laughs> they're equal in the fact that they're both perfect. <laughs> so what you're saying is Red Dead Redemption 2 is as good as Jurassic World. I can quote you on that, correct? As good right, or better. Anyways. No, nope, no, say it. We, we nope. need to clap. No, nope. <laughs> we, we need to clap. Is Red Dead Two as good as Jurassic World, <laughs> or equal? A thousand times better. That's not. I don't know who said that. <laughs> no, you said correct. it. You said it because this is going to be at the back of the podcast. <laughs> you said they were so, both perfect. <laughs> you said they're both perfect. Therefore, Red Dead Redemption Two is as good as Jurassic World. A solid five point five. <laughs> So, okay, but Brill, I wasn't on the mic because we weren't three, recording, like really two, recording, so you can't put that at the back of a podcast because <laughs> you'll not be I'm, able to hear me. <laughs> I am 1,000% going to put it somewhere on the <laughs> Let's do the clap record. That's fine. If it works, go for it. You forget you're I wrong. backup yeah, audio. He has on, backup. Clap. Yes, that's fine. <laughs> All right. One, two, three. Perfect. Someone just had to be a smartass, didn't they? So, uh, Damn it, Jurassic Joshua. World, though, do you think that'll be added to the Criterion Collection? I hope so. One can <laughs> wish. <laughs> One can dream. <laughs> Isn't Criterion like, hey, these are really fucking phenomenal movies? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Pinnacle. Pinnacle of cinema. It's I gonna, don't see how... Scorsese Jurassic watches World. Jurassic World and just, like cries because he'll notice he'll never make anything as good as was Jurassic World like a huge influence on the Irishman hey for what it's worth Michael Bay has two movies in the Criterion uh, library Ooh, wow what movies out of genuine curiosity I don't remember but Patrick H. The, Williams has a video about it what were they probably back on like DVD or, or as a disc? producer like I, I think they're straight up like movies of his uh, Armageddon oh yeah no Armageddon's a great movie and he didn't the become rock. a joke until uh, yeah, yeah the rock really is a laser disc until... release isn't it mm, I, I mean don't, I don't know I don't know the format mm, but it came out in 96 unavailable well this has all been very interesting <laughs> yes are we ready uh oh I lost my tab oh dear okay the rock the rock was DVD Hmm. Okay, Rock is a human being. 
All right, shall we? I'm ready. Hello, Looker, and congratulations. You have discovered the secret message. Midweek Matinee is produced and edited by Christopher Figueroa. Music is by Joshua Lago. Thank you for your support and for enjoying all these movies with us. And lastly, please send your iTunes reviews to Old Pink, Care of the Funny Farm.